calling all lovers of mystery and fans of a good story. If you haven't already heard me talk about June's journey, you're in for a treat. It's time to don your detective hat in this free hidden object mobile game that delves into the captivating journey of June Parker, a self-proclaimed detective on a quest to unravel the mystery surrounding her sister's untimely death. In June's journey, you get to play as June, deciphering clues and unveiling secret plots within thousands of beautifully illustrated scenes. And did I mention it's set in the glitzy 1920s? New chapters are added weekly, so you will never run out of new thrills to uncover, and you can also personalize and decorate your very own Orchid Island where the story takes place. How sharp are your detective skills? Find out when you download June's Journey on your Android or iOS device, or play online via Facebook games. Your detective journey awaits. Hey there, it's Rachel Ballinger, and I am thrilled to invite you to Rachel Uncensored, my podcast where I get real with my friends and celebrity guests, where we talk about all sorts of topics. From personal stories to hot-button issues, we cover it all. New episodes drop every Wednesday, so make sure you tune in on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Trust me, you won't want to miss out on the fun and candid conversations we have here on Rachel Uncensored. Now through June 29th, you can earn up to four times rewards points on your favorite products throughout the store at Safeway. Shop for items like Coca-Cola products, Deer Park Natural Spring Water, Dannon Light and Fit Yogurt, Mott's Original Applesauce, Heinz Ketchup, and McCormick Spices. And earn up to four times bonus reward points to use for discounts on gas or groceries. Visit Safeway.com or download the Safeway For You app to earn your reward points today. Offer valid through June 29th. See store for more details. everyone and welcome to our spoiler review here for episode five of andor from the geek buddies and laura kelly i was there to say i was ready to say buddies i was ready for it <laughs> no, no, no maybe it's teamwork um, it's teamwork guys you never know we're just gonna someone's gonna do it yeah. we're all a, we're a, we're a well-oiled machine Almost like a group of rebels on a planet getting ready to do some major shit. At some point this season, I hope. At some point this season, we shall see. But let's, uh, we're going to break it all down here. We want to introduce ourselves first, though. I'm the outlaw, John Roker, writer, producer, and host here on the uh, Geek Buddies and the Outlaw Nation. Mike? I am Michael Vogel. I'm a writer and producer of animated TV shows and movies and proud owner of my dog, who is asleep in the background behind me. Oh, so cute. Uh, unfortunately, Shannon McClellan can't join us tonight because he is at work, but we do have joining us as our guest every week to talk about these episodes. Back again, the co-host of Force Toast Pod, the co-host of The Jedi Way, number one in your Star Wars fan-loving hearts, Laura Kelly. How are you, Laura? I am amazing. It is a dark and dreary day here in Chicago, and I got a not-as-dark-and-dreary episode of Andor that we had, you know, compared to the first three episodes. I think I'm in a better place. Wow. Oh. I came in expecting Laura with the knives out, but clearly Laura a little bit softer on the approach. I appreciate that. All right. Maybe. We'll see. <laughs> we'll see. That's for sure. Stay tuned. We're going to get into all of it. And please, a uh, big shout out to Carbon Health, who powers and sponsors us here on the Geek Buddies. Head on over there to CarbonHealth.com to get yourself checked out today. They got in-person care, virtual care, 80 plus locations in California, 100 plus locations all across the country. Download the app as well to have a doc in your pocket. All right. Uh, let's jump into this thing. Episode five, the axe forgets, uh, but Pepperidge Farm remembers. No, uh, the, the tree remembers. I think that's what it is. Michael, thoughts on episode five here of uh, of Andor? You know, we're, we're on the precipice of this big Aldani adventure. Um, it, it seemed to be that we were getting the we're getting these things in threes. These are tr- mini trilogies within an entire season directed again by Susanna White. So what do you think about this episode here, brother? Uh, I, I have a lot of really good things to say. I was just saying before we started, I did have a little Laura Kelly on my shoulder um, as I was watching the episode because Laura had so specifically been like, are we going to get to this raid on this Imperial base? And then about like 20 minutes into the episode, I was looking at the time left and I'm like, oh, yeah, we're not going to get there this week. This is all we're setting it up still. We're setting it up still. And so I don't know if I was a little disappointed in that or if just the Laura Kelly on my shoulder was disappointed <laughs> in that. Um, but 
I think the show continues to make amazing use of what they've got. Like, n everything in this episode I found fascinating. I found the character work uh, with Cyril's backstory, uh, with uh, with all the rebels uh, on Kaldani, with Mon Mothma. Like, they're doing such a good job of making the rebellion feel real. And not just in the detail of what's going on, but just like what people have lost. I mean, this episode is really the let us show you all the ways the Empire really, really sucks episode. Like in big ways and small ways, they just illustrate over and over again how bad things are uh, under the rule of the Empire and really justify why people would put their lives at risk. And I think sometimes, and look, I love all Star Wars, but I think sometimes Star Wars, the rebellion seems so fun and exciting and there's lightsaber battles and there's force things and there's big, awesome X-Wing things. And I think that this is showing, like, rebellions suck. <laughs> like, you put everything on the line and everybody in this episode in different ways really reflected that. And I thought it was really, really nice. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, leading into this Aldani adventure, which I imagine we're going to have in the next episode, we also got touch base, as you said, Michael, with Cyril Karn. We saw more of Bon Mothma's home life, which is not a good home life right now. We got we checked in with Luthan Rail and his kind of nervousness around these missions. Uh, and we got more about what's going on on Ferrix and now with Blevins in charge of things mm -hmm. and Deidre Miro who has popping pills to try to stay awake so she can get things done. Or is it for a back injury? We don't know, but certainly she's right in where she's going, yet we don't want her to keep going in where she's going. It's a fascinating episode laying the groundwork. As I've said, it's really interesting when you flesh out side characters, how great a show can be. It's so great to see so many of these characters getting these levels and depth and complexity. Laura, what do you think about this episode here overall? Honestly, I liked this episode. And I think because this one and episode four we're jumping around a lot to different mm. storylines. It's it's holding my attention a lot better than the first three did. I hate to keep comparing them, but that's where we're at. But you know, we're not we're not solely focused on Cassie and Andor's story. It seems anymore. You know, I I think in this episode I counted like pretty much like six solid storylines yeah, that mm -hmm. we're playing um, in this episode. So I like it a lot, and I like that you know we're getting to know that team on Aldani a little bit more. Obviously, we're spending the most time with them. In this episode, my section of notes on that whole part of the episode is considerably longer than all the other ones. They're pretty much the rest of them are pretty much all the the B story, I think. Mm -hmm. um, but you know, all of these characters on Aldani became, I think, a lot more dynamic for me in this mm -hmm. episode. I, I mean, Gorn especially is the one that stands out to me. I yeah. find myself drawn to him a lot more now that we got a little bit more of his story. And I think the music was really solid in this episode too. It was the strongest one for me uh, so far in terms of the score. Also, we got another awesome TIE fighter flyby, which was really intimidating and unsettling and pretty awesome as well in the middle of the episode, for sure. Um, let's hit this. I'm, I'm not going to do it like I normally do, ladies and gentlemen, and read everything out. We're just going to hit the sections here of the show. We got to start out with the Andor section and the crew, the Rebel crew there on Aldani, them preparing for all for this uh, um this uh, theft that they're going to do of the quarterly payroll there. We see Andor waking up in the camp. We see he's got the Kyber crystal. Skeen has checked his weapons. We see them have a back and forth comparing tattoos, comparing the fact that they had been uh, in a grown up in essentially similar situations. Um, uh, I think it's really interesting to have uh, a Mexican actor like Diego Luna mentioned cages. Uh, certainly there was that issue going on on the border here in, 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 in our country. So is that an allusion to that? Is it an allusion to being in a juvenile detention facility? All of these things, it's great. Like real world allusions, the things that you see believable in the Star Wars universe as well. We get more with Nemec and Cinta. We hear about their story, Cinta being the toughest apparently of them all. We essentially get that there's a relationship here between Vel and Cinta that is hinted at throughout these uh, sequences uh, in, all, in all the stuff we're seeing with them coming together and preparing uh, for what they need to do. We see Nemec sit down with Andor and give him, uh, was it Dre Milk, I think, uh, which apparently sizzles on the ground when you throw it down. So I don't know if that's a cold, hot situation or if that thing is pretty spicy. I don't know. But he's also handing him some old tech. And he talks about the fact that this is what the Empire wants you to do is to use their tech 
to essentially remove the old tech and in, in essence remove your culture, remove your connection to your old culture, and they in, es- in essence take it all over and take it from you. And we find out that Nemec is writing this manifesto, which is really interesting. And then we also g- cut to um, Vel and um, uh, Terraman showing or asking uh, uh, Andor about how to get the ship off the ground they know how to fly it but the shit that they're going to steal they're worried about heading off the ground which really surprises um uh andor there in that moment and he's like wait a minute you guys don't know what you do you know the clutch you don't have to wait all these things so he is now starting to see how actually important he is to this mission as uh, laura mentioned gorn is also doing his part having them remove stuff from the temple they're behind on that we hear about a wife who's got a wife of the commander who's got who was using these soldiers to move her furniture around as well uh then we see a uh, terraman sharing a drink with andor and he shares it with Sinta. so things are coming together we see that andor schools them on how they should be marching and what side of the body uh, to be having the weapon are you left-handed or right-handed all of that is really important Vel is quizzing Andor as they walk to where they're supposed to be about the plan, the distances, the signals. And then we hear about Lieutenant Gorn's story about how he fell in love with a local woman, lost a promotion, then lost her, which made him lose his taste for the Empire. Gorn figures out how to kind of make only the essential staff be there by by, uh, letting everybody go and see the eye ceremony that's happening in a couple of days. We see Skeen. Try later on in the episode, we see Skeen try to kill almost kill Andor, rip the kyber crystal off of him, accuse him of being possibly a turncoat because he's got like a thirty thousand dollar, which is really a fifty thousand dollar, according to Luthen, a piece of equipment on him or that kyber crystal on him. And then the accusations fly, and it almost looks like a reservoir dog situation at the end there, but everybody calms down. But then Andor tells them that he is a paid mercenary, he doesn't necessarily believe in a cause, he wants to get this thing done and get it out. Then a little bit later on at night, after they're all down, Terraman, uh, Vel t- tells uh, Andor that Terraman is in charge from here on out, and her and Sinta go off and go do something that we don't know what's going to happen with them, which we'll find out in the next episode. Then Skeen reveals to Andor about his brother and his brother dying, who was a farmer who killed himself because the Empire flooded his land. He was uh, he had a pepper tree farm, and uh, he also says that's as close as an apology that Andor is going to get for him trying to essentially cut his throat um and uh, that's where we that's basically all of that happens here within this uh, crew mike what stood out to you as we were seeing them come together a bit more this is a bit more andor centric as he seemed to be the one who had filled in the gap <clears throat> for some of the stuff they were missing what do you think about all of this yeah i mean like we've been talking about over the past few uh spoiler reviews you know andor up to this point has kind of been along for the ride like yeah. luther kind of took him from ferrix to aldani then he was part of this team but the plan was already well underway and he was just kind of playing catch up and now that he's caught up and we've had this episode that lets us sort of sit with these guys as they're getting ready to go on this raid we're starting to see why andor is going to be the guy that rises up the ranks of the rebellion um because oh, he really does know what he's talking about um, and you really do see that as much as these, uh, this whole team that's been in Aldani all this time has a whole plan and I'm, they seem really capable. They seem like they know what they're doing, but there's just little details. Mm-hmm. There's little things like, I mean, not knowing how to get the thing lifted is a pretty big thing, but you know, just the fact that he like, you don't even know like what you're doing. And then not only that he suggests that they switch places because Skeen is left-handed, but then also that he already knows everybody you're right-handed you're left-handed he's right-handed but he shoots from his left like he's really really observant like he's picking up all these details like he is a natural at this so even though he's been brought in late uh you know chances are high that when we get to next week's episode he's gonna fucking save their bacon um but we really do get a sense to get to know all these other characters as well and through doing so get to understand little bits and pieces of the empire like the fact that Skeen was in a detention center and was marked and branded i mean you see a barcode on someone that's not that far away from what the nazis did in the holocaust to jews like you know like branding somebody with a barcode is like the most dehumanizing thing that you can probably do and then Nemec is our idealist, but like talks really well. First, Skeen says the thing that the, the that the show is named after, which is you know the axe forgets, but the tree remembers. Right. You know the axe goes and just causes damage to tree after tree after tree, and the tree is the one that has to deal with the aftermath. And so Great you point. see that sort of represented by what the Empire has done to Aldani, 
what the Empire is currently doing to Ferrix. Like what the what the Empire is doing throughout the rest of this episode, you see just the casual nature of destruction that they just reap wherever they go. Um, and then Nemec kind of starts speaking about, you know, the idealism of the rebellion that, yeah. you know, the Empire hides behind all these atrocities. And, you know, I think what he said was really, really smart because uh, after living through, you know, pandemic and Black Lives Matter marches and climate change and everything else, when he says sometimes the Empire throws so many different atrocities at you at one time that you actually just they're hiding behind it because you almost can't process it all. And I'm like, well, yeah, that hits real. That yeah, feels, that feels accurate to the past three years of our lives. Um, so I thought that was really, really interesting. Um, and then I'm with uh, Laura on Lieutenant Gorn. I think that not only was it nice to get a little bit more of his backstory and understand why he's helping these rebels, um, his backstory once again helps to illustrate just the way that the Empire has just wiped out the Aldani and given no shits about them. Even the fact that, you know, those two uh, Imperial dudes that he goes up to, they're using that little piece of the, the what remains of the Aldani temple for like target practice. Yeah. You know, it's just once again, it's just this casual nature. And you can tell that Gorn doesn't like that. And even though he is the one that ultimately get clears everybody out so that they can go watch the eye, he does it in a tricky way. There's a little bit of reverse engineering. He gets everybody out by demanding that they have to miss it to get everything ready, forcing the other guys to be like, oh, well, can't we go do this? Which really gives him a lot of deniability when shit is going to about to go sideways. So I thought throughout all of this, it was really interesting. And also that Cassian is smart enough to realize that once they know that he's got this Kyber crystal around his neck, and once that Skeen has thrown this suspicion on him, that he might be more than he says and that he's not giving them the full story, that if he just let that hang in the air, like that, the mission would fail. Like you can't go into a mission with everybody sort of side-eyeing each other. And he understands that and knows that even though they might be pissed that he's a mercenary in this case, that he's coming in, he's just doing it for the money. It justifies and explains what he's doing there. So in a way him coming clean is a really calculated and smart move on his part. But it also does clear the air so that all these guys now really do understand each other. Like everyone is kind of on the same page. Um, and once again, it's just another small way that they're showing that Cassian is really, really sort of just inherently savvy about how to do all this. Even though he's just been thrown in at the very beginning, he's proving that Luthen was right about him. Yeah, absolutely. And I think everybody in that camp has probably surrendered some semblance of vulnerability to each other to get trust. So in that moment, I think uh, that's the moment where Andor becomes a full member of this crew when he surrenders the fact that, yes, I'm, I've been paid, I'm a mercenary, blah, blah, blah. And he says, I don't want to be looking over my shoulder. I think another huge part of this is he says to them, don't use me as an excuse to not do this. Yeah. There's a difference between being afraid and losing your nerve. Those are two different things. Don't use me as an excuse if you've got some hesitation here. So I love that he calls them out in, on it, even though he's also surrendering some vulnerability in that moment. Laura, your thoughts on this? Um, what did you think about how they handled the camp here uh, with everyone and how the progression of Andor becoming more and more useful as uh, this, uh, this episode went along? And Vel essentially surrendering control of the team to Terraman at the end there so she, her and Cinta can roll off and do what they're going to do. And uh, possibly, I mean, we, we got to put time clocks on all these people, Laura, it feels like, for this mission next week. So what do you think about all of this? Yeah, you know, I know they know exactly what they're doing because, you know, they're they're giving us these characters they're putting these characters in a more vulnerable light in this episode i mean literally richie is like shirtless in the first scene we're getting him like very exposed and this episode talking about his tattoos um i'm sure that there are like easter eggs sort of buried all over this episode but one of them i wasn't sure of was them referring to richie not richie i'm sorry i'm gonna keep calling him richie because he's richie in my notes because that's his name in in the bear um in the bear sorry <laughs> skein i'm gonna call him richie i apologize halfway through my notes he changes to skein um but <laughs> he, uh, he uh is called a crate head at one point yes. and it's not crate like the planet it's crate like crate dragon and i'm like i'm not totally sure what the connection is there but i'm really interested to learn does he have a connection to tatooine in right. some form like i just yeah I, I would be interested to learn more however i do not want to go back to tatooine i would love it if this <laughs> show this episode this show stayed away from could it be the one that stays away from tattoo would be great um so i i but i really liked getting to hear the story about 
his brother as sad and as tragic as that is you know it really it kind of drove this point home for me where we spend a lot of time in star wars with our heroes and with our villains and we spend a lot of time you know with these people who took a stand and went into battlehead first and we don't hear a ton about these characters who are just average citizens Mm -hmm. and the empire just beat them down so hard that there just is no fight left in them. And so hearing the story of, of Skeen's brother in this episode, I just thought that was, it was really interesting. And it's a thing that star Wars, I think could do more of like, let's just hear more about like with the average citizen and what this is like with them. Um, I know that's kind of what they did in the first three episodes of the show and I didn't (laughs) like it. So I'm eating my words just a little. I hear it. Don't worry. (laughs) Um, But I enjoyed getting to really just kind of grind down into some of these characters uh, at the, on the Aldani camp a little bit more. Val in particular, I thought was also very interesting. I think Mm. we got a lot of, one of her best lines in this episode is when she's telling um, Cassian about Gorn and says, you know, everybody has their own rebellion, yeah. which mm-hmm. is like such a true thing, like just in real life too. So mm-hmm. I really appreciated that line in particular. And I really like that we sort of get to see her, you were right, like relinquish some control and sort of turn things over, but also she's willing to like stop this training, dr- these training drills that we're doing and be like, no, let's hear what Cassian has to say in this moment. He's got some expertise to share and she makes sure that we stop and listen to him. And I mean, she's, she's kind of this great example of like what makes a good manager like in Mm -hmm. real life. And it's hard to find a really good manager. So I like some of these traits that she's portraying. And I hope that we get to like, keep her in star Wars. I think that's asking too much, unfortunately, (laughs) Um, you know, and that's the thing. They're doing it with all these characters. They're making us care yeah. more about these characters. They're giving them these great backstories and vulnerabilities. And then they're going to rip them away from us. And it's going to hurt. Yeah. But it's going to hurt in a really good way because that's what gives you good storytelling. And that's what I'm sort of, that's what I really need at this point in the show. We're almost to the halfway point in this season. And I just need, I would love just a punch to the gut, I think. Yeah. I think I'm ready for it at this point. Certainly Tony loves to do that. If we think of Rogue One, uh, you know, yeah. him icing out everybody. So it wouldn't be surprised. I, you know, I, I know some people don't want to hear this, but I think, I think Nemec is on that time clock big time. I think oh, that, yeah. that manifesto is not going to be finished. I think that manifesto and his death is going to be one of the big steps that pushes Andor towards fully joining the rebellion. And don't be surprised if Andor is the one who pumps out that manifesto or finishes the manifesto and pumps it out. Cause I just have a feeling there was a reason Nemec handed it to him. There's just something about it uh, that I, I think has import uh, to his overall Andor's overall story, which I really appreciated. And I, and I agree with you, you know, Vel understood Vel was called out by everybody for knowing about the stuff about Andor, knowing that he was paid even she didn't even tell Cinta, which she says, which because it's alluded that they're in a relationship. So there's a violation here of trust. And so her smartly as a good manager, Laura, as you said, hands over control to Terraman uh, for now while she and Cinta go off and do their thing. So it's just smart all around man management by her for sure. We'll be right back with the Geek Buddies and or spoiler review right after this. Uh, all right, let's move on to um, something else here. Let's, let's hit Cyril Karn. This is Laura's favorite character on the show right now. He's, he's broken up about what happened. Cyril is sitting there in that makeshift diner living room table or a dining room table there. Uh, and his mom is trying to quote unquote, pick up his spirits while reminding him about all the mistakes he made and talking about his prospects. You know, Adam Hlavak, a great friend of mine uh, posted that they, who hasn't been sitting in that thing from 18 to 30. Hey, Adam, I hate to break it to you. It's probably 18 to 40, 18 to 45, depending on what the house is like talking about prospects. She wants to call in a family favor, Laura and call uncle Harlow. Who is, who? I mean, uh, how many of us don't have an Uncle Harlow? Cyril scoffs at this. She wants to get Harlow to find someone to take Cyril on. She's talking about Uncle Harlow throughout this whole thing. Harlow mentioning how, or she mentions that Harlow <laughs> said he was never meant for police work. That's more, that's a, that was not his real thing. And she talks about how she explained things delicately to him about uh, Cyril's mistakes. Uh, and she's hoping that uh, Harlow will find someone to take Cyril on. So, Laura, even more emasculating stuff for Cyril. And then we see him at the end still having that hologram uh, of uh, of Andor. So it's clearly still upset or mad or maybe learning the lesson. We don't know which way he's going to go. 
But this certainly the scene with the mom, you kind of understand why this guy is the way he is almost. Oh, yeah. The mommy issues are strong with this one <laughs> in this episode. And it is, I get what they're trying to do. I get that we're supposed to be feeling for him. Um, but, oh, God, I just I hate him. Um, but I, one of the, I love this casting. I love that his mom is, she is so little. I mean, yeah. like when you see her standing next to that table and he's already kind of, elevated and the way that she's it's just adorable how she's she's just she's a tiny little gal and she is just dressing him down yeah. this and in like in emasculating him the entire episode and i do in some uh scenes feel for him a little bit if i would feel for him more if he just wasn't awful but the uncle harlow character i kept they brought him up so many times and said his name so many times i was starting to think like am i supposed to know who this is is this like an easter egg from legends or something and i'm supposed to be like oh what if it's harlow this like i i wasn't picking up on it um but i'm interested to see if we actually do see that character at some point in this show it seems like we've kind of got a lot of characters yeah. on our plate already. We've got, I mean, like I said, I think we've got like six really strong storylines happening at one time in this one, like 40, 50 minute episode. Um, and so the idea of bringing on even more people is a little bit um, daunting, but at the same time, let's see what Harlow can do for cereal for cereal. <laughs> Speaking of cereal, the Cocoa Pebbles or the Cocoa Puffs. <laughs> Cocoa Puffs and Blue Milk. Oh, it did me. It did it for me. I love the Blue Milk. I love anytime they're going to put it into Star Wars. I know that it's like sort of a forced Easter egg. They forced it in Rogue One too. I don't care. I yeah. love it. And I love that we got cereal, cereal eating cereal. Perfect. Yeah. I think the blue milk is available at Galaxy's Edge, if I'm not wrong. Oh, it's uh, so get, sweet. It's get, so gross. Can, I love it. I get blue milk every time I go. You can get blue milk and green milk. I always uh, I always pre-order on my Disneyland app some blue milk, and then I roll into Galaxy's Edge, and I pick it up, and then I stroll around and sip my blue milk, and it's delightful. Nice. Do you uh, get it with the rum or the tequila in it every time? I mean, listen, it depends on the time of day. Just like the butterbeer. Uh, talk to me, Michael, about this uh, stuff with Cyril and, and his mom. By the way, the actress is, for those of you who've seen Tragedy of Macbeth, she's the actress who plays all three witches. She's fantastic. Um, what did you feel about this interaction with them, this relationship with them? Um, they essentially turn him into a little child almost. Uh, and then this Uncle Harlow thing emasculates him even more than he needs a family favor. And certainly he's got some disdain for Uncle Harlow. So is Uncle Harlow in the Empire? Is he not in the Empire? What is the whole thing? Do you think we've seen Uncle Harlow before? What do you think about all of this? No, I don't. Th I mean, I think Uncle Harlow probably does work in some capacity for the Empire. It seems like right now everyone on Coruscant probably works for the Empire in uh, some good capacity. Point. Good point. Um, but look, I think like, and I think we said this last week, like, you know, she, Cyril's family, Cyril's home that he grew up in is not in the upper crust. They're not living up near Mon Mothma's place. You know, they're pretty far down. And I love that first shot where he's sitting in like his childhood bedroom and you know oh, yeah. you only see that glimpse of the sun because there's so many buildings that are above him and because that's how coruscant is built like the most important people in the, the jedi temple and the senate and everything like that's way up top they are further down so you don't get the sun as often as everybody else does and i thought that was really really interesting love a blue milk moment but yeah like the cereal sitting with mom at the table like it's all showing that he like his mom is just browbeating him and emasculating him. I mean, I love that he's like, you know, she's like, well, my, uh, I infer things and I'm inferring this. He's like, yes, I forgot how, I forgot how smart you are. And she's like, well, you haven't forgot how to mock me. And I'm like, Ooh, this is a dicey relationship. Yeah, um, I was so I uncomfortable you know, watching this, man. It, it just is further, you know, it's, it, like I said, uh, when we when we finished the three episodes, I was like, you know, he could go either way. Maybe like be getting fired by the Empire is going to send him towards the Rebellion. Maybe he's going to become the Star Wars equivalent of an incel. Right now, it seems like we're leaning towards incel. Like, yeah. you lost your job. Uh, you've been told that you fucked up. Your mom is browbeating you. Yeah. Some uh, family member is going to try and hook you up and get you a job somewhere. And you are, it seems to me, looking at that Andor thing, looking at the uh, Andor hollow, basically he's placing all of his blame, not on himself, but on Cassie and Andor. Right. Like, I think that he is becoming obsessed and going, wow, if this guy hadn't come into my life, yeah. everything would be fine. Not taking any responsibility for the fact that he disobeyed a direct order went way beyond what he was supposed to do like literally this is all his own fault yeah. but i think in his mind what is slowly forming here is 
this guy is the reason for yeah. everything that has happened to me. And even though this won't solve my problems, I'm going to go fucking kill this guy. Yeah. That, that's we, what it seemed like to me. Yeah. Yeah. And if we go the full incel route, as we were, as we've been mentioning for a couple of weeks now on the show, I mean, the, the idea that he, as a white man is blaming a person of color for, you know, messing up his life or there's like finding someone else to blame. There's also real world attachments to that as well. All that he was missing was a website that he was running, posting negative things about people from that bedroom. But he did have those little figures. I don't know if you noticed those little figures that were up there. So I thought that was really interesting that they used yeah. that as set design, Laura. What did you that think about that? That was a choice. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, the, the fact that we're, we're still kind of talking, making these comparisons of him being an incel and he's literally a grown man living with his mother in an yeah. actual basement. Like it, it's all checking out. But, yeah. I mean, but I will yeah. just point out. So he's a grown man living in his mom's place and he's got his toys on the shelf. Yeah. Cassie and Andor was a grown man living in his mom's house and he had a stuffed Bantha. Like they're both mm. of these rooms had childhood toys living nice. with a mom. So I think, you know, and again, we're obviously all on the rebel side here. The yeah. empire is bad, but Nemec is, is it Nemec? Uh, yeah. Nemec yeah. with yeah. his manifesto, as a true believer, he is also radicalized right now. He's yes. radicalized. Like he's like the rebels are radicalized members of the, of the galaxy mm -hmm. that are like enough is enough. Saw Gerrera is radicalized. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. so I do think that as we are watching this thing develop and you're seeing, and again, you just can't quite uh, avoid the comparisons to the world we live in today where yep. You have two sides that look, yeah, sure. Emperor Palpatine is just straight up evil and is like, haha, I'm going to destroy the universe, blah, 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 blah. But like everyone else in this empire, whether it's like Mon Mothma's husband, Perrin, or anybody else, like they're like, they don't think they're on the wrong side. And right. so we're seeing like these two sides at these two extremes and people getting further and further radicalized and it's all going to explode into this huge war but watching the pieces fall into place is fascinating to john's point when you have enough episodes and you can give it the time to really dig into these individual stories yeah yeah i agree and it's definitely cyril and andor who are the uh the two storylines we're watching they're absolutely the storylines that are running through this whole thing for sure. You mentioned Mon Mothma. Let's go to her, uh, Mike Mon Mothma, in uh, quite a uh, terrible life situation in terms of her family. Uh, uh, her uh, The um, enmity, for lack of a better term, between uh, her and Perrin is still very potent. Perrin refuses, Perrin refuses to remember the name of the driver, which speaks volumes about his arrogance and conceit. We find out she has a daughter named Lida, who is clearly upset and feels neglected by Moth Mon Mothma's senatorial duties and thinks that she's only taking her to school to show off to everybody that she is a good mom, but she's actually not really that good of a mom. And so it seems, and Perrin says nothing. So it seems clear that Perrin has been manipulating and working on his daughter while Mon Mothma is not around. And that's certainly coming to bear here. And certainly there are people, I'm sure some of you who watch this have either experienced that or been a part of that uh, yourselves. Uh, we cut to Mon Mothma and Perrin later on in the episode uh, in their speeder heading home, and Perrin mentions he was that uh, uh, Perrin, uh, that he was talking to Ger Taffy. He uh, quizzes her about her new foundation, which I imagine is the money that they're going to be using to funding this operation. Uh, she says she doesn't think he'd be interested because it's a charitable thing, which is a nice shot at Perrin. Because why would Karen, Perrin care about charity? Uh, and then Perrin asks again what the name of the driver is, then calls into the driver and tells him to take the expressway. So. Mike, this is a, a little bit of an uncomfortable situation. Look, we're, what, three or four years away from her being charged of everything in the rebellion, and there's no mention of a husband or a daughter. So where are we going with this, man? Yeah, it'll be really interesting to see. I mean, I was uh, I was reading up on it. I wasn't aware of this, but apparently Lyda, uh, she, Mom Mothma had a son and a daughter, and mm. in some of the Star Wars Legends material, some of the comics, it's been mentioned. It's never been made a big deal out of. Yeah. But, uh, and I don't think that, that stuff is reliable as canon at this point, but I do think that when uh, Tony Gilroy was like, hey, I'd love Mon Mothman to have a daughter, uh, someone at Lucasfilm was like, oh, here's a name you can use, and they did. <laughs> um, but I think it's interesting because to me, and I'm interested to see where it goes, but it kind of shows like the cost of being in the rebellion. Yeah. You know, like we all think, oh, the rebellion's awesome and you're sticking it to the empire and look what you get to do, but 
Mon Mothma's life kind of sucks. Um, like Perrin, like we talked about last week, just seems like he just is loving life in Coruscant and his rich, fancy life and is just, and doesn't understand why his wife is such a fucking downer. (laughs) He's like, we've got it all. We can have fun. Who cares about some fucking shipping lane and some planet far away where everybody's suffering? Like we got a party, man. We got people coming over and the daughter's interesting. I'm not sure where they're going to take her, but I think that. It look, Bon Mothma's clearly very busy. Yeah. She's starting a fucking rebellion. <laughs> and she's trying to move money around and she's doing all this stuff and she's clearly distracted and she probably is ignoring her daughter a little bit. Like, but I, and when her daughter says to her, like, oh, you just wanted me to ride with you to like, we don't know what it is. I assume it was like dropping her off at school or something, yeah. but like just so people see you and everything is all about you. Like, A, maybe Mon Mothma did want to just drop her off so she could be seen because Ugh. then she won't be suspected as much for what she's really doing. Right. So there might be a hint of truth to what Lyda's saying. And also it just shows that, like, she can't share with Lyda what's really going on. Like, this girl thinks that her mom is, like, a self-obsessed senator when really Mon Mothma's putting everything on the line yeah. for billions of people she's never met before. Um, and so whether her daughter is going to find out um, what mom is really up to, whether she's going to betray mom. Like, this is like, everything is really, really dicey. And so everything that Mon Mothma said last week, yeah. where she feels like she's being spied on from every direction and she's not safe, like, that I think is also going to come to a play. Like, that, her parent is already sort of questioning. Oh, there's no way she and, trusts him. There's no way she trusts There's him. no way she trusts him. But there is a lot of ways that he could fuck her over. Yes. 100%. Um, he's in a very good position to get a lot of information that nobody else could get. Yep. Um, yep. And Lida might inadvertently be a tool to help her dad or to help someone else in the Empire. Like, And they really did double down on, what is the driver's name? Chloris? Chloris. Yeah. Like, uh, yeah. yeah. They, they, they brought it up enough times that I'm like, well, he's clearly important. Like... Whether he is actually an Imperial spy, whether he is a double agent, like whether we're going to all of a sudden get in a moment where Perrin is like, I knew you were up to something, pulls a gun on his wife, and then the driver fucking shoots him. Like, I don't fucking know what's going to go down, but some shit is going to go down. Yeah, yeah, clearly we're seeing that uh, for sure. And Laura, also the way she's framed in the uh, in the scenes here, really fascinating. She's framed smaller, right? I mean, she's in these bigger rooms, but here is a person who is of big import in the galaxy uh, being uh, shown to be kind of a smaller entity within her own house. That's a fascinating way that they handle that as well. What did you think about all the, uh, all the things we got here about her family and Mon Mothma's struggles here? That's an interesting thing to point out. I didn't even make that connection until just now that we do have a lot more sort of close-up shots, I think, of Perrin and Lita in those scenes, much more so than Mon Mapa, who's at the far end of the table. And that was definitely an interesting and I'm sure very purposeful choice. Um, Really well done. I still love being in their apartment, condo, whatever. It's just beautiful. So I really, for me, there was not enough Mon Mothma content in this episode. Clearly there was like, we only got these like sort of two smaller scenes. Um, You know, we talked about a lot about Lita and she's very unpleasant. Mm. She is also just a teenager. So when it comes to that, like vulnerability of like falling prey to whatever parent is whispering in her ear and on the sidelines, like, oh man, I just feel for it. And I'm also a little bit, I'm a little bit afraid for her. I mean, obviously we don't hear anything about this character later on in the story. So I'm, I'm a little bit fearful of what her fate's going to be by the time we get to the end of season two of this show. Um, But I mean, right on par, I think Perrin still sucks in this episode. He (laughs) is still just awful. The fact that there is no effort whatsoever to back her up on anything. It's bad enough having a teenager in the house. You're seriously not, you're not, you're not going to help out at all you're not going to voice anything he's just going to sit there silent through a lot of the scene that he was in but it spoke volumes and i think i really enjoyed that um the fact that she has to walk out you know of the room and just get the last word and just be like i so appreciate the support i'm like oh man it's just <laughs> taken me right back to uh being a child of divorce but this <laughs> oh, <wow. laughs> this last um this last scene with Cloris, i think you've got a good point i think there's going to be more to the driver yeah. and i kind of remember thinking when we first, we only got like what one or two speaking lines 
from him. Right, in the he said, I can't episode. afford anything in here. And she's like, well, take a look. You can still look. Yeah, he was, there was, I don't know. There's something a little bit more dynamic, I think, to him mm-hmm. too. So I hope that there, there are some extra layers that we're going to peel back there eventually um, just to find out exactly what, what's going I'll, on there. I'll throw yep. something out. I mean, this may not be it, but I'm not quite sure how Saw Gerrera is coming into things. But I yeah. all know that Saw Gerrera is out there doing stuff. Like maybe the driver is a plant for Saw and not for the not for the empire you know like what happens if all of a sudden like some shit goes down with mon mothma the driver kills everybody like come with me and like takes her straight to saw Gerrera, and you're like oh shit he was watching like like they're they're like just remembering that we it's not just rebels it's not just the rebel alliance in the empire right now like like andor said last week there are multiple factions right. all sort like they're not all allied yet and we all know that when we get to rogue one Saw Gerrera is sort of on the outs with the rest of the Alliance. So I think that, you know, there's other factions going on here and it'll be interesting to see where, when, and how they show up. We'll be right back with the Geek Buddies and or spoiler review right after this. Um, all right. So <laughs> I don't know if there's much to say about Ferrix. So let's connect that to Deidre because we cut to Ferrix where we see Blevins overlooking some construction that's going on there. We meet Captain Tigo who is put in charge of getting the Imperial stuff ready. And uh, he's got his headquarters set up for him. Um, and so that may come into play here as when we get back to Ferrix, which I imagine we'll do in the next three episodes after the next one. Um, and we see Blevins walk by Deidre Miro and doesn't even look at her and is more worried. And we see this slow turn of Deidre and there is just acid coming out of her eyes of hatred towards Blevin for him embarrassing her. Uh, and does she, then we cut to her being with her assistant asking about Hosnian prime. Hello. Uh, Kessel. Hello. Fondor targeting consoles uh, on Jakku uh, proton warheads from base K the steer guard star path. So many fascinating things here. Uh, and she's saying, and she has this moment where she's like, well, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I should just give up and, you know, forget it. And they came after me and maybe, and her assistant is like, He's trying to encourage her and uh, and says, look, you have a hunch and, uh, you know, and you might be right. I think you're right. And she says, well, it's just that if I were to do it, this is how I would do it. Uh, and he's like, I'm st-, and she tries to send him home. He said, no, I'm going to stick around with you. And she takes some kind of pill, which could be to uh, back issues or any kind of muscle issues, or maybe it's to stay awake, whatever it may be. And they're going to stay up and, and figure out these files and figure out if they can put this thing together. So, uh, Laura, very interesting stuff here with Deidre. She is becoming a confusing character for those of us who are, as Michael said, on the rebellion side. But we also know that she's right. And we're like, I don't know how to feel about this. Yeah. I know. I'm like, I know I'm not supposed to cheer for her, but like, why am I cheering for her? (laughs) Um, I I like her a lot. You know, there's what I won't dwell on her a lot because there's not a whole lot to this scene. Mm -hmm. um, But there's there's that sort of same thing that I was getting with Val in this episode where like, mm. we kind of see her. She's like, she's a good manager. I mean, she's just like, yeah. Oh my God, I kept you up past your bedtime. You can go. I'll stay here and work on this. You know, I'm so sorry. And he's just like, Oh no, I'm, I'm going to see this through. This is like, this is exciting stuff. Like yeah. we're in it now let's do it. And I like that. She's got that good working relationship with somebody there because we kind of saw her like get the dressing down quite a bit in the previous episodes that she's, you know, that she's been in where she's been at the ISB and kind of nothing's been going her way. So yeah, I'm in a confusing place with her because I do kind of want to cheer for her in some way. I want her to like turn. I think that was like a, that was a thing a lot at the very beginning when we first saw her in trailers was I hope that she turns to like the good side and it's like, yeah, I don't know if I see that. I don't think I see that happening, but I'm still cheering for her in some weird ways. Sorry. I'm not yeah, sorry. sorry. It, it almost feels <laughs> like they're lining up Cyril to be Deidre's, uh, I don't know, like a war machine person in, in what she's trying to do and be her her top person, her right-hand man, in essence, to go and do all the things. Or, as you said, Deidre might turn. It's very possible where she gets disillusioned that the Empire doesn't listen to her, that they're a bunch of idiots and they deserve to be taken down, and she goes on the Rebellion side, possibly. We don't know. Mike, what did you think about uh, the Deidre stuff we got here? The, the I mean, the look she gave Blevins, and then later uh, when she's there with her assistant. Um, I, I mean, I think, to Laura's point, like I, Ooh. we are rooting for her, and it is confusing, but they're doing it very clearly and very well on purpose. Like, yeah. everything you just said, like, the fact that she tells her assistant that he should go home. Yeah. The fact that she's thinking about him at all. Um, you know, the fact that she's clearly smarter than everybody else. And the fact that with all of the boys club that is the empire, you've got 
the girl and her trusty gay sidekick in there being like, hey, okay, I didn't want to say happen. that. So I'm glad you said it. I didn't want to <laughs> say that, but I will say that he made my gaydar go off and not in a bad way. He's a handsome looking gentleman. Yes. But yeah, like it just there was definitely just a vibe uh, that I think is not unintentional. Like they're both sort of underdogs in their own way. And they're like kind of working on this together. Um, and look, I think that as much as, like I was saying, you can draw the comparisons of Cyril and Andor, both in their mom's apartments, both, you know, like both both with their childhood toys. Um, Cassie and Andor is a natural. Mm. That was clear in this episode. Uh, and he's going to rise up the ranks of the rebellion. It would not surprise me if Deidre, who is clearly also a natural, she yeah. is seeing the connections that nobody else does. And like her assistant says, it's too random to be random. Yeah, yeah, like yeah. she is seeing the beginnings of the rebellion and everyone else in the empire is ignoring it. And as things start to heat up uh, and the rebellion becomes more apparent, I think she's going to win. I wouldn't be surprised if we ended this first season with both Cassian and Deidre getting pretty big promotions Mm. And just watching them rise up the ranks until they have to face each other, if not at the end of this season, then in Ooh. season two. Yeah. But I think that like her rise on the Imperial side is going to sort of maybe reflect what's happening with Cassian uh, on the Rebellion side. And so we will root for Deidre as long as we can, because we, you know, all things being equal, I'd rather root for her and her assistant than Blevin or Clyborne or anyone else in the Empire. <laughs> So I want to see her win and beat those assholes. Right. And then at some point it's going to come down to like her and Cassian or her and Mon Mothma or her and whoever. And then we're going to be like, all right, well now we're done with you. Now, now I don't root for you, but yeah. you know, we love a good bad guy and she has all the makings of a good bad guy. It's an excellent point you bring up. Remember, remember what the mom says to Cyril, uh, when you're a leader, it naturally comes through. And there was a in the death, the difference because Cyril was yelling at everybody, exploding at everybody, was overmatched, overwhelmed, gave up information quickly. Yeah. Uh, so clearly not a leader, at least at this point. But certainly An uh, Andor, Vel, Deidre showing characteristics. Yeah. So in a way, what the mom is saying is reverberating throughout this episode for sure, kind of under the and surface. That's a, really good, that's a really good point. I mean, Cyril wants nothing more than to be a leader and right. nothing about his behavior. The way that he talked down to all the other people mm -hmm. uh, in the first couple episodes as he was tracking Andor down, everything went to shit out in the field. Um, you know, Cassian is just exerting leadership all over the place yeah. in this episode. Deidre has a line on the rebellion that nobody else does and Cyril's sitting at home eating some cocoa puffs. I mean, you know, so it's gonna like what I, I am kind of like at this point because Deidre has really sort of overshadowed Cyril, who was sort yeah. of our main antagonist of the first few episodes. Just Cyril is a wild card to me. Like I have no idea where he's gonna go. Yeah, which is great. Uh one last thing here. Let's hit this uh, uh thing with Luthan Rael. We cut to Luthan in his office. He's using some sort of ham radio. Uh he's got the Stones there from Indiana Jones of the Temple of Doom yeah, still hanging absolutely out. Absolutely, 100%. <laughs> definitely the Shankara Stones now. <laughs> Last week it was like, maybe they are. And this week it's like, no, no, that's definitely them. Um, so now we've made Riddles Lord Gark part of the Star Wars. I don't know. Anyway, his assistant confronts him that he was supposed to stop listening to the rebel chatter. He asks if she's uh, checked her walkaway pack because he's nervous. Uh, and she is grilling him about it to get him to focus and stop worrying about this stuff. Laura, I, I can't tell you how many nights uh, when I was studying for a Schmodown match that I was staying at Little is like, you either know it or you don't. Go to bed. So uh, I get exactly what Luthen is doing, but we see a little vulnerability here, and he does say this thing that she says to him, it'll be over this time tomorrow, and he says, or it'll just be starting. So, yeah, I'll swing back to you, Laura, on this one. What Thoughts on this? Thoughts on him listening to Sam Radio and all of this stuff? What, what's going on here? I like that we have like a sort of weird police radio happening that he's just kind of like tuning into. I think that's, mm. um, I like that that's, we're showing a little bit of his like anxieties. We've gotten like a very confident Luthen, I think in past episodes. So we're seeing, we're peeling back the onion a little bit and getting some more vulnerabilities with him too, yeah. which I really like. I'm still very curious as to what the relationship between him and Clea is. Clea, yeah. Or like, I mean, him and Val, Vel, I've seen a lot of, you know, suspicion that she might be his daughter. They look a little bit alike. So 
I'm I'm curious to know what his relationship is with these people. We do see him talking to Saw Gerrera in a trailer. Yes. I'm sort of one at some point later. I'm sort of wondering. I'm like, does something really go bad with this this heist? And he ends up, you know, having to sort of switch gears and be like, all right, well now we got to go to Saw to do whatever is next um, in our storyline. But yeah, I, I'm liking. I'm liking Luthen, I think less is more for me for some reason. Mm. Like some of these, like the earlier episodes that had a lot of Luthen in them, I kind of just, I like him on Coruscant. I like him having to play this sort of like, having to put up this sort of facade. It just makes the character a little bit more interesting to me. And I will be curious to see how things evolve when we have to take him out of this environment again and throw him into a pit with Saw. It's going to be interesting to see how that dynamic plays out. For sure, Mike, what do you take away from this? And Laura might be right. I mean, I've seen some people speculating that Andor might get caught and that that's the next three episodes is him in that prison with Gorn, with the people, with the Aldani crew, maybe hanging out outside and uh, and Luthen having to go to Saul to bring him into this mix to uh, uh, release Andor because he has faith that Andor can be a really huge part of the rebellion. What do you think about uh, this scene here with Luthen? Uh, yeah, look, I think a couple things. One, somebody pointed this out on Twitter. This is just a small thing, but I thought it was really interesting, is that Luthen's Coruscant look is very similar to Palpatine's look, uh, Senator Palpatine, or oh, I guess Chancellor Palpatine, yeah. just the hair, the sort of long robes, the flowy thing. And they pointed out, like, it was, it was a cool thread. They were like, look, it makes sense. Like, Palpatine is the Chancellor of the Senate. Like, he's the biggest, he's the biggest thing out there. Uh, so it makes sense that the well-to-do people, like fashion trends, would follow that. And Luthen, just like Palpatine, what he's wearing is a facade for uh. what's really underneath. And so I thought that was just a really interesting comparison. Not my comparison. I saw it on Twitter. Um, I forget. I didn't. I didn't write down the the user who did it. But I thought that was really really interesting. Um, I thought this scene was great for the same reason that I thought everything else in this episode was great. The rebellion has stakes. Yeah. Um, you know, just like John pointed out, cause I'd forgotten about it, but when Cassian kind of tells everybody, he's like, look, if it hadn't been this, it would have been something else. Like the day before a mission, everyone's freaking out. Yeah. You would have, you would have tried to make me the scapegoat for some reason. Like they are, they are scared. Like this is, this is crazy what they are doing. And Luthen, even though he's going to play it cool to Cassian and think he's got it all together. I really like this relationship between him and Clea because Clea, he's clearly comfortable being his true, true self. Yeah. Um, and his true, true self is like, he's really worried. He's worried about how this is going to go down. He's worried about it coming back to him. Like, you know, when he was talking to Mon Mothma uh, last week and he was like, look, I need to know that you can do this. And he was really giving her the business. Like, he's he's as scared as anybody. Like, mm-hmm. this is a big deal. Like, you are going up. It, what you're What they're doing is impossible. And I think, you know, for all of us who grew up with the original trilogy... By the time Princess Leia gave R2-D2 the, the, the Death Star plans, like, that's a plan. Like, mm-hmm. you've got a shot. It's a small shot, but there is a, this is a thing, and we can do it, and we've got the information. These guys are just, it's a shot in the dark. Mm-hmm. And so seeing how scared he is was kind of a refreshing way to end the episode. Like, it really ended on that really ominous note of, like, shit is about to go down. Yeah. Um, and I like Clea's cool as a cucumber. <laughs> she yeah. is, she is telling it like it is. She's like, look, you can do this all night. It's not going to do anything. We got some coins that you can clean if you want to be useful, or you can go to bed because there you are. You are here on Coruscant, and they're there on uh, on an okay. Aldani, and like there is nothing that you can do. So cool it. Yeah. Uh, it's either going to happen or it's not. That's yeah. it. And yeah. I'm like, yeah, that's that's that is correct. So <laughs> I just love how. Kind of like to what what Laura was saying about how telling these stories about just, you know, you're not a Jedi, you're not a chosen one, you are just someone who the Empire has fucked over. Um, You know, in just the same way that that TIE fighter in this episode just buzzed over them, not because because it was suspicious, not because that that, that Imperial pilot was trying to do anything, that Imperial pilot was being a dick Mm -hmm. to average people. And that because was he could. all it was. Because yeah. he could. Because yeah. no one's going to stop him. Right. And this is the very beginnings of people who are like, I'm fucking done, and you're not going to do this anymore. And like this, this, this show makes that really visceral in a way that other Star Wars things don't, because they're more interested in other things, which are also awesome and I'm also interested in. But I love this aspect of the universe. Fair enough. We'll be right back with the Geek Buddies and or spoiler review right after this. 
Uh, all right, let's wrap it up there. Michael, what do you think is going to happen next episode real quick? 60 well, seconds. I, think, I do think we're going to get, uh, to your point, I do think it's going to be like these three episodes are going to be the buildup to mm. this is the heist episode. This is where they're either going to make it or break it. And they're either going to get out and it's going to be a huge success for Luthen and Mon Mothma and Cassian and everybody, or shit's going to go sideways. But either way, I think Cassian is really going to prove himself to everybody as, fuck, we really, really need this guy. Yeah. Uh, Laura, thoughts on next episode? What do you think is going to happen? Uh, I have a feeling that we're going to see uh, some things go wrong with this heist and it's going to lead to Cassian having to potentially... I don't know if it's like blast one of these team members or shoot them down or something to like keep them from getting captured. There's going to be something tragic ultimately that happens. And we know that he's done terrible things on behalf of the rebellion. Uh, we've gotten a lot of backstory and a lot of like sort of interesting like childhood insights to some of these characters. We have not gotten that with, De uh, with Deidre yet. And I would like to see that. So yeah. I'm hoping that that's something that we'll get in some episode in the future that is going to make her even more sympathetic to us um but i'm just really curious to see where her story goes okay here's who dies uh vel cinta nimic and skeen turns skeen's been the one who's been involved with the empire the whole time those are my predictions for next week uh but i think it's going to be awesome to see what happens and see what the uh, whole heist is and i imagine the stuff we've seen in the trailers some of that stuff that we've seen with Andor and a ship and with all that is going to pop up next week, which is going to be visually awesome to see. So I'm very much looking forward to that for sure. And um, you might, we might get that chorus thing you guys were referencing too. that might come happen. Uh, I think it might, I think there might be, we might like, if you're right, which I think you might be that the, that the series is sort of broken up into little sort of mm. like three, kind of like what clone wars used to be where it's like yeah. every three episodes is kind of its own little arc that all ties together. Like we got the Ferrix arc. Mm -hmm. This seems to be the Aldani, Aldani. Aldani? Yeah. Yeah, the, the Aldani, Aldani. arc. Yeah. Um, but I do think even with Mon Mothma, we had the setup of, I don't trust anybody, I have a new driver. Perrin talked a lot about the driver this week. I could see us getting like a wrap up on at least the driver part of the story. Yeah. Uh, and maybe finding out who it is that Mon Mothma wants to bring in to Luthen. That might be a piece. And then yeah. we'll get into like whatever the next three episodes sort of chunk is. I, I That would be great. If that if that's the way they're going to do this series, super down and super on board for it. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Well, there you go. That's our spoiler review for and or episode five. Uh, what um, uh, Laura Kelly, we can't thank you enough for joining us. Thank you so much, Laura. Where can uh, people find you and everything you got going on? Sure. Come find me on Twitter at shutup underscore Laura. I'm often tweeting about Star Wars and you can find the show that John and I host right here on his channel called The Jedi Way and the podcast that I host with my friend Alice is called Force Toast, a Star Wars happy hour. All right. And Mikey, what do we have to tell them? Um, look, if you would like to follow us, you can follow us uh, on Twitter at geek underscore buddies on Instagram at the underscore geek underscore buddies. You can follow John at the Roka says you can follow me at MK tune and you can follow our missing Shannon McClung at Shannon underscore McClung. Um, and also, if you enjoyed this and you enjoy us just talking geeky things all week long, um, we need your help to continue doing that. It's really easy. You don't have to do a lot. You just have to hit that like button below. You have to subscribe to Johnny's Outlaw Nation page so that everyone on YouTube knows that everybody loves the outlaw. You can leave your comments below. Let us know what you thought of this episode. Is this moving at the right pace for you? Is it moving too slow? Is it moving too fast? Are you loving it? Are you disliking it? Where do you think things are going to go? What do you think is going to happen next week? Let us know below if you are listening to us on a podcast uh take a minute to leave us uh, stars leave us some comments help us go up in the rankings and as always the best thing that you guys can do is retweet this video post it on your socials send it to your friends and tell them to hang out with your buddies the geek buddies absolutely and i uh, gotta reiterate what michael said about the podcast we're on iHeartRadio. gotta get we want to get those numbers up so please subscribe to us on iHeartRadio on the spreaker app for sure that's where we're at go and find us there for sure all right y'all take care of yourselves be well and we will talk to you next time with another brand new spoiler review episode here from the geek buddies and and laura kelly yeah <laughs> <laughs>
Or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Bartha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz and how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts.